Good morning. I want to greet each one in Christ's theme this morning. This morning's message, I'm going to look at something you might seem kind of funny to you or, or maybe odd to, to talk about this, but have you ever been accused of being a negative thinking person or a, maybe you've been accused of being too positive, too optimistic, can never see things for reality? I would tend to be accused of the negative side, the pessimist side, and um, I talked uh, about that before, but this morning I want to think about it. Um, I can't remember exactly who I tried to, to look it up as I was studying this. I can't remember who I heard this talk about this, but I heard someone describe um, Old Testament law as negative law, and then they also described some of the. Um, Bill of Rights that the U.S. has similarly, and so that got me thinking, so that's where I'm going to go this morning. But before we go there, let's bow our heads for the word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for each one that's here. We thank you, Lord, for the word that you have given us, preserved all these years. I just pray, Lord, this morning as we look into it, that we could uh, understand it, accept it and also to learn from it as we look at it this morning. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So negative commands or positive commands. All of you here that have little children or had little children in the past, what percentage of no to yes would you say you have said? Does anybody want to venture? Just a rough figure. Is it over 75% no versus yes? Is it over 90%? <laughs> Why is that? I had to think maybe, it's, maybe that's why we enjoy when little children learn to do something new. When they learn to walk. When they learn to eat on their own for the first time. It's like there's finally something I can say yes about or give positive feedback. So when you think about the Old Testament, does it all feel negative to you? The commands that God gave? It might go partly with our personality, but we definitely are living in a time, in a culture that seems to be getting softer, if you know what I mean by that. They get more easily offended than they should. They don't seem to want to take on difficult tasks. People complain about microaggressions and offenses. They want more money for less pay. An example of that just this week the United Auto Workers in Detroit were striking, wanting a 32-hour work week. So we definitely are seeing around us a, a, a culture of people only wanting positive affirmation, never wanting any negative um, affirmation, if you want to say it 
that way. So when we think about negative versus positive, I'm going to look at the U.S. Bill of Rights. How many of you know a Bill of Rights right offhand? Sometimes they're just called amendments. The Second Amendment. Everybody knows what the Second Amendment is. Someone want to say it? The right to bear arms. Fifth Amendment. That's a really popular one that's thrown around a lot. The right to remain silent. <laughs> so I'm going to look at the different ones because there's a lot of them here that I'd never really read, looked at, to think about this positive versus negative because then we're going to look at the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. We're not going to look at all the Law of Moses, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And we're going to see similarly more negative than positive. And like I said, what's negative? It says don't do this. What's positive? It says do this. And maybe you've thought that positive laws were better than negative laws. How many would say that just offhand? You say a positive law seems better than a negative law. And maybe when you come away this morning, you'll still think that, and that's fine. Maybe you'll say, well, I prefer negative laws. Or maybe you say, I, I'm grateful for both of them. So when we look at the U.S. Bill of Rights, the first one forbids the government from restricting expression and practice of religion. So that's our rights to be able to say a lot of things, do a lot, uh, verbally express a lot of things, and not be uh, prosecuted or imprisoned for it. Then the second one, like I said, is about um, the right to own a firearm. Um, Number three, the, the third amendment, is that nobody in the U.S. could be required to house a soldier. And I think that one got really trampled on and pushed to its limits during the Civil War. If you read history with the Mennonites in Virginia, a lot of them had their houses taken, their farms. Uh, the soldiers would come through and just take what they wanted to. But that's why the government had set that up, was to try to protect the citizens, the people of the country from that. Number four is one that if you follow court cases, criminals, uh, situations, you may have heard this one. It restricts the government from unrestricted searches and seizure of property. Number five has to do with you can only be tried. So the Fifth Amendment we often think of as the right to remain silent, but it's a lot more than that. It's to, the government can only prosecute you once for a crime. If you are found innocent, they can't keep trying you until they get a, a jury to find you guilty. Six is the right to a public trial, right to a lawyer, right to a jury. So this one is a positive law. Up till this point, it's all negative laws. Now, I said the right to bear arms was number two. But really, it's about, it's a negative law to the government. The government can't take away your right to own a gun. So it's a negative law. Number seven, common law, the difference between criminal and civil cases. Number eight, 
restricts the government in the amount of punishment that they can invoke on you for a crime. Numbers 9 is one that was really hard to say it in a few words, but it's the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights, meaning that just because a right is not listed in the Bill of Rights doesn't mean the government can just restrict everything beyond what's in the Bill of Rights. Once again, it was telling the government, look, stay, stay over here. Don't, go, don't take away people's rights, even if they're not mentioned in the Bill of right, Rights. And number 10 restricts the federal government from having complete control over the states. Now, this one's been litigated and taken through courts for the last 100 years. But for those of you who followed the, the issue when COVID was happening with states, one state would take this response, another state would take the other response, and it was amazing the differences. You saw this state would do this this way and this state would do that that way. That was because the government is supposed to, the federal government is not supposed to get involved in every situation. So we saw that, yes, there's still, Amendment 10 is still in place to some point. Now, World War II and different crises that came along has given the federal government more and more control. But most of these Bill of Rights were not positive rights per se, to the person, to the people, but it was negative rights telling the government what they couldn't do. So now let's look at the Ten Commandments. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have, and now here we start, commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. A negative command. He's not saying that you should have me as a god, but you shall have no other gods. It's a negative command. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not, one other negative command, take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, six days shalt thou labor to do all thy work, but in the seventh day is the Sabbath of the, of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughters, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Here was one of the exceptions. It's a positive command. It was to remember the Sabbath. And if we think about it, this is one of the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Far as I know, we do not have a positive command when it comes to what day we are supposed to worship. And that's why you do have disagreement in churches today, in, Christian, in the Christian sect, 
Should it be Saturday? Should it be Sunday? Could it be Monday, Friday? Does it have to be a certain day? And I don't see in Scripture that in the New Testament we are commanded to do a certain day, but I believe we are still called to set a day aside and to rest because that is a commandment from the beginning. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Another positive command. So now we've had a number of negatives. We've had two positives. Now we have some more negatives. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And I'm going to stop there. So it's interesting most of the law here is negative. Eight out of ten, I would say. So why does God favor negative law over positive? Does this mean that God is a negative God? Only worrying about what we shouldn't do rather than worrying about what we should. I don't think God is a negative God. We look at what all God created If he was only a negative God, why would he have created such beauty for us to enjoy? That really, the stars in the sky, the moon, we saw the moon on the way to church this morning. Does that moon really serve any purpose for our daily lives beyond the beauty that it gives us? I'm not aware of it. I know it affects our tides, but could we live without those tides? God created beauty. I believe he is a God that wants good for us. In Genesis 1.31, everything God created, he said, was good. But once again, then, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. I want to look at that. The first commandment, Unless I'm forgetting one. I may have forgotten the one about be fruitful and multiply. And I forget if that happens before or after this one. But in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, God didn't say that they had to eat of the fruit of the trees, but he said you may. But he definitely said you may not eat of this one tree. So once again, it sounds similar to the law, to the Ten Commandments that God would later give. So why does God do that? The culture around us accuses us as Christians as often being negative and only doom and gloom rather than positive. But I do want us to think about the culture around us right now. What are they pushing? They're pushing homosexuality. What comes from that? No children come from that. So that's not positive. That's not creative. Abortion. They push abortion very strongly as a right, as a good thing for women. But as for the culture, for families, it destroys and is evil. Divorce is considered a good now, even in our culture. There are people promoting it as a good thing. 
But what does it do? Does it create or does it destroy? It destroys. Destroys families, causes financial loss. And I would say, by and large, less children result because there's divorce. And the latest one, the trans movement, is even worse. They claim to create things or to come up with new things, new genders, but yet I believe the movement only destroys and removes things. They don't create things. What about Jesus? Was Jesus positive or negative in his commands to us? A lot of times people that are... um, on the edge of rejecting. Some of them have. Some are atheists and have rejected God altogether. But others, maybe they haven't rejected God, but they, they talk about that. They separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. They say it can't be the same God, or why did God change so much? And I don't think God changes. And we know that Scripture talks about that, or Jesus talked about when he was here, that the Father and he are one. They're the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if Jesus appears to us in a more positive way than God does, I think it's just our understanding who Jesus is and our understanding of God is that might be incorrect. So I'm going to take, for the rest of the message, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. It's not the only place Jesus gave commands, but it's the largest one. And when you think of the Sermon on the Mount, do you think of positive commands or negative commands? Without looking at it, what would you say is the most? Positive. The the first part definitely is, and I would say there are parts through it, but there also are negative ones. So let's look at it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now after reading that, is that positive or negative? And I think it's interesting. I often think of it as a, an encouraging passage. But yet, what leads to some of those things? Blessed are they that mourn. What led to the mourning? Probably something negative, but our response is supposed to be one of blessing from God. I think of hunger and thirst as a bad thing. But when it's for righteousness, it's a good thing. So these, are, these do feel like positive commands. Blessed are they which are persecuted. 
That doesn't sound positive at all, does it? But yet we're supposed to think of it in a, in a positive way, that it's something good, that it's pointing us in the direction that we are following God if we are suffering for good things, suffering for righteousness' sake. And how are we supposed to feel positive when people revile us and persecute us? And yet that's what God calls us to do, what Jesus was calling us to do, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And so it does feel more positive, and yet I say there's still, as we look here later in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to move through it quickly, but there are both negatives and positives, but it does feel more positive. And why is it? I think some of that has to do with the fact that Jesus had come to earth. He was here in a human form. So it did feel different than the Father did, even though they are one. And everything that Jesus says, the Father condones. And everything the Father does, Jesus condones. They work together. They're, they're one Godhead. So it's not like we see a different God. We just see some of the different attributes and aspects of God. Verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost the savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men? You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. These are mostly positive, but it says that there's also a warning there. There's negative there. Don't be good for nothing, or just like salt that's good for nothing, you'll be thrown out. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whoever therefore shall be break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. I would say this feels negative, like he's talking about, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the scribes. He's warning And when you talk to people today about the law, they often accuse us of being legalistic or that was for another time. But Jesus says he didn't come to destroy it, he came to fulfill it. And even though at this point when he preached this sermon here on the the Sermon on the Mount, he had not fulfilled it yet, but he was going to. And he came... Yes, there was no way we could ever fulfill that law completely, and so Christ needed to come and do it. And yet we see both positives and negatives. Let's go on. Verse 21, And ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell. Therefore, if thou 
bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembering that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard it have been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right hand, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that for one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Once again, Jesus is saying it, it seems less negative because he's not saying thou shalt not and then give a command or with that. But yet, Jesus is holding an even higher standard for us today. But yet, there are some positives in it. I believe that Jesus brought the standard up even higher. It wasn't to bring judgment upon us, but rather to shine a light on if we sin in our heart, it will lead to the greater sin that was commanded in the Old Testament. But I would say that his commands were negative. Verse 31, And it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her her writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And again, ye have heard that it hath been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Once again, mostly negative. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man sue thee at thy law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that will borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Ye heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Here we do see more positive commands, but boy, they're tough. They're not easy ones. I would say some of the negative commands are easier than the positive ones. We're supposed to love our enemies. Those who 
have hurt us, have taken from us, a family member maybe that's made our life difficult, a neighbor that's just been very difficult to work with. We're supposed to love them. So in the Old Testament, it was don't kill, don't steal, but you could sure have a quarrel with your neighbor. You could sure have hard feelings towards him, but now we're not even supposed to do that. We're supposed to love them. So I would say the positive commands are even harder than the negative ones. So going back to the question I asked at the beginning, why would God give us negative commands versus positive ones? And I think it goes to the fact that he wanted us to have choice and freedom. And the reason I read the Bill of Rights, the U.S. Bill of Rights, um, I believe that in the past, I don't know about today, but in the past, the U.S. has been considered one of the freest countries to live in in the world with the most freedoms. I believe that living a godly life for Christ, for God, is also gives us some of the most freedom. It seems counterintuitive to our human minds at times. How could living in obedience to the Ten Commandments, to the Sermon on the Mount, bring freedom? And it's because that when we live our life just doing whatever we want, doing whatever we please, often brings us into an incredible amount of bondage. And so those negative laws actually bring about freedom. And I would say it this way, when you look at, just like you do with the U.S. laws, the Bill of Rights, most of those are aimed at the government saying, stay over here, all this over here, that the people have these rights. And the same thing with God with us. God says, these things are over here, don't do them. But all these things over here, if God would only give us positive commands how many commands would he have to give us to cover everything that we are allowed to do? And so he says the negative. He says what we shouldn't do, allowing us the freedom of all the others. When I look across the church this morning, I know people may accuse us of having tight standards, but when it comes to clothing and modesty, we don't have... We have negative commands, I believe. We do not have positive commands. And that's why when I look across, I see many different styles of shirts, of dresses, colors. Why is that allowed? Why can you be here this morning and be living up to a standard even though you look very different? It's because of negative commands that allows you the freedom to do all of this over here as long as you avoid immodesty and similar issues, gaudy clothing, things that are not godly. In closing, I want to read a couple more passages. Go with, uh, Just continue there where we were, Matthew chapter 6. How do we deal with the people in the church that we disagree with when it's on issues that don't, are not dealing with sin but just differences of opinion? Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, 
that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. If thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be done in secret. And that thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou, be, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as to the heathen, for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth which things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 12. <clears throat> and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation I'm sorry I, I must have wrote down the wrong verse it goes on then to say that we should forgive men at the Lord's prayer there it talks about not laying up treasure in heaven we should be careful I know what I did I wrote down the wrong chapter Turn with me to chapter 7. That will make more sense with where my thoughts were. Sorry about that. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eyes, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thy, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest ye trample them under their feet, and turn again, and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So this does not say that we shouldn't, as we'll see later, verses. This doesn't say we shouldn't call out sin when we see it. But we should realize that as we love and deal with brothers and sisters in the church, that we should treat them as we would want to be treated. Verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth the evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So there are times when we disagree with a brother or sister in the church. But maybe we need to give them some grace, some mercy, as we wait to see the fruit. 
I'm not talking about sin, open sin, when they're sinning openly against God's word. But times when there's disagreements, we may need to allow some time to pass. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. The Bible doesn't tell us everything we must do. The Bible's not completely full of positive commands. And so how do we deal with disagreements? But when it comes to the church, let me turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We see the biblical command of how to deal with these things. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 14 to 18. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brother, brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So when it comes to negative and positive, looking at God's word, looking at one another, there are positive commands. And one of the greatest, just as I had mentioned earlier, was loving our enemies. We're also commanded to love the brethren. Are we doing that this morning? Or are we as the rich man who just said, well, I've kept the Ten Commandments, but when God, when Jesus talked to him and challenged him on the issue of whether he truly loved God with everything he had and was willing to help those around him, that's when he went away sorrowful. Where are we this morning? Are we focused only on the negative? Are we focused only on the positive? Or are we willing to obey the whole of God's word? Lord bless each one of you.